0: Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Naaman was a man who had leprosy. And uh, he had heard that this prophet, Elisha, had healed other people had done miracles or was used by God to do miracles, but he probably thought Elisha was doing miracles or something like that. So he went to Elisha and asked him, can, uh, can you heal me from this leprosy? And that's when Elisha said, well, go to the Jordan, dip yourself in there seven times and you'll be healed. Now, you might wonder why Naaman Got so upset about it. And the reason why Naaman got so angry about it, so furious, is because Naaman had expectations. And those expectations were disappointed. Naaman expected the prophet of God Elisha to go wild. Yeah! Wave their hands all over him. You know, that's the way he describes. Couldn't he have, you know, done some great things? Wave the hands over, you know, maybe smack him on the forehead or whatever. And uh, and, and, and get him healed. Instead, as you would see often being the case in Scripture, you don't see any spectacle like that. You didn't see any farce like that. You see Jesus Christ telling someone, stand up, and they do. Wow, where's all that fanfare? Where's all those, that noise? Where's all that, all that fuss about that? No, Jesus comes up and says, stand up. Okay, I'll stand. Healed. Done. Wow. right? Now, Elisha said to this man, go and wash yourself in the Jordan. Now, there is another element about that, and that is the element of idolatry, because this man comes up and says, wait a second, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? And there is an implication in there that he's maybe thinking, you know what, there are are gods in Damascus as well, there are gods elsewhere as well, why should I just listen to this go and dip yourself seven times in it. And he gets furious. He's in a rage because of that, because his expectations have been disappointed. But notice that in that rage, he just walks away from the healing furious. And what James writes, that the, the, the anger of man does not fulfill or accomplish the righteousness of God, is very manifest in there, isn't it? Here's Naaman, after taking the trip to go to see Elisha, after listening to the prophet telling him what to do, just walks out in a rage and gives up on the healing that would have been his. Now the, the righteousness of God is not fulfilled in our anger or in our rage in any way. Now, thank God, he had some servants who were a little smarter than he was. And the servants approached him humbly and said, Well, if he told you to go and jump through some loops like some people do, um, wouldn't you have done that? So now how much more could you just do? Just go, you know, amuse him, whatever. Just go in that Jordan and dip yourself seven times in there and see what happens. So he said, yeah, I guess so. Notice again, there, is a, a, there are several elements in here we're going to revisit in a moment. There is a pause. There is an evaluation of the circumstances. There is a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And that action now leads to the healing of Naaman. Interesting, isn't it? We see a few dynamics about anger in there. and, And we see particularly that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God or fulfill the righteousness of God. Now I want to, before I give you some tips in terms, I promise today we will look at quenching the fire within how do we resolve anger. Last time we looked at the nature of anger. Today we're looking at some solutions. But before we do that, I want to share with you why anger management sometimes does not work. And the reason why I'm doing this is because it will point back to what we discussed the previous time, that it's a matter of the heart. It's not just a matter of behavior. Same for anger essentially is about control. Nayman was upset because things didn't go the way he wanted them to go or he expected them to go. We get upset at a tire because the tires deflated at the wrong time. Oh man for crying out loud I, I really need the tire to be inflated now. So we kick the tire, we kick the car as if, as if we could push the air into the tire by kicking it. I don't think it's gonna work so it shows the irrationality of anger but um, we want to control circumstances. We want to control people. We want to control their responses. We are control freaks, really. If you think about it, we are really control freaks. And we could go back to Genesis and find out why, but I'm not going to do it today because we don't have enough time. So anger, sinful anger, is essentially an issue of control. We want to control everything and everyone. Now, anger management tells us we need to control anger. Now, how's that? i have having a control issue, and you're telling me to control my control. Isn't it a catch-22? I don't think it's going to work very well because I'll tell you what happens. I'm going to try to control my control urge and then I don't control my control enough and so I get out of control and I lose it. So it, it tends not to work very well. Now, it may deal with the expression of anger. That's the other issue of that. And I'm not saying it never works. You know, sometimes it corrects the expression of anger. But then I need to ask a question. Does it change the heart behind that action, behind that expression of anger? If it does that's wonderful but many times it doesn't address the heart now if it leads to surrender because the whole issue here is not to control but to surrender to the control of god well then if it leads to surrender then we need to ask a question surrender to what uh, to a false god to another idol or to society and other people the same people maybe i'm trying to control and that creates another problem in itself so Sometimes what that turns into is moving from one problem to another problem, but the second problem is a little more socially acceptable, so it looks like it's successful. The simple truth that I want to bring to your attention is that you and I cannot really resolve our anger problem, our sinful anger, but God can, and that's the whole point I want you to understand. God can, and it must be from the heart The real solution is not control. The real solution is our surrender to the sovereignty and the love of God. When we surrender to God, then many issues that we get angry about will no longer be there. Now, by the way, God wants the best for us, but he never tells us to control them. God wants the best for us, but he always encourages us to accept him, to surrender to him, to surrender to his way. So what is the biblical solution? Well, I'm going to give you an outline today. Much more could be said. For each one of these points, we could have a full sermon, but I don't want to drag it too long. I want to point you in the right direction. We have learned that anger is not necessarily bad. We have learned that human anger is designed by God to motivate us to take constructive action in the face of some wrongdoing or when facing injustice. We've learned that anger itself is good, actually. It's a powerful and positive motivator, useful to move us toward a loving action that we otherwise might not take, to make some wrongs right, correct some injustice, or things of that nature. In other words, anger can be defined, as we did, as a surge of energy. Now, the motive for that and the use of that energy is what can make anger righteous or sinful. So I'm not just talking about the use of it. It's not just behavioral, it's the heart behind it too. So the motive and the use of that energy will make the difference whether that is righteous anger or sinful anger. But anger itself, the energy itself, is not sinful. Electricity is not sinful. But if you take two wires and put them on me, you'll see that I'm not going to be very pleased. I'm going to consider that as an assault, an attempted murder, and I consider that sinful, <laughs> right? Uh, but the energy itself is not sinful, it's the way it is used. On the other hand, if you give me ele- electricity to warm up and then light up my house, they I'm going to say, wow, this is wonderful, this is great. So it's a different use of that energy. First thing, acknowledge that you're angry. In Proverbs 28 and verse 13 it's written, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Whether the anger is sinful or not, we need to acknowledge that we are angry. And especially if we have problems with sinful anger or displaced anger, then we must acknowledge it all the more. Don't deny the anger. Realize that you're angry. Acknowledge it. Accept it. Become aware of its presence and become aware of the pattern that it takes. Every one of us has a pattern in in the way we experience it and display it. And be willing to take responsibility for it. Not just when it's a good thing, but also when it's not so good. Learn to recognize how you tend to express the anger. Some people internalize it, some people mask it, some people vent it. All three of those are wrong uses of that energy. If you internalize it, we can we can talk about that and how it really destroys you from within until it finally blasts out in an uncontrolled fit of rage. If you mask it, it's, it, it leads to deception and uh, you can't deceive your heart very long until you know, before you start having other problems with that. And if you vent it, of course, well, you, you escalate it and create other issues because you're usually venting it against people and not use it toward problems. So, and, and we said last time, it's important for us to learn to spot the very first symptom of anger. Psalm 26, verse 2 tells us, Examine me, O Lord, try me, test my mind and my heart. Use that prayer. Pray in a similar way, asking God to enlighten you, to show you the nature, the pattern, and the the, the first onset of your anger. Once you acknowledge that, the second point that I would like to share with you is from scripture, is that refrain your immediate response. We must have time to think. We need to create a situation where we have enough time to think before we react. And uh, so, you know, one thing I... uh, that I usually use as an explanation for that is sometimes people just shoot the arrow first and then try to stop it in midair. Say, oops, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to say that. You know, you you shoot an arrow at at something or someone and you're not going to be able to stop it in the middle of the air. Once you let the arrow go, it's gone. The damage that it's going to do is done already. So it is much more important to pause before we react enough to think then try to fix it later. Now, if you feel like you're about to lose control, call time out. I often advise people I'm counseling for for anger issues to make an agreement with their family and and immediate friends with whom they have expressed anger before to say, look, this is a signal, this is something I'm going to say or do if I feel like I'm about to lose control. I don't want to lose control. I want to correct this problem. But you need to understand that at that moment, I need time out. And so the, the family member would need to understand that that's not the time to provoke or insist in the issue. It's time to back off, let them have a little time so that it doesn't escalate any further. There are many proverbs that talk about that, many proverbs that talk about refraining, the immediate response. I want to share three with you. Proverbs 16:32 that says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules the spirit than he who captures the city. You know, you can accomplish a great deal, but if you don't control yourself, you're not nearly as good. That's the most important thing. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. You know, it is more glorious to overlook a transgression and control ourselves than to get even because of that transgression and to make somebody else pay for that. And finally, Proverbs 17, 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Think about a dam that is beginning to crack. You have a massive amount of water on the other side. Now you have the first trickle. You can literally put the finger in there and stop that and have somebody repair the crack before something bad happens. But if you start letting it go and you don't take care of that little first drop, is going to expand and it's going to get worse and pretty soon the whole thing is going to collapse and here the rage comes in. So think about that, that as Proverbs says, it's so much better to refrain the very first symptom than to let it go until it, it turns into burning rage and now you, can, you don't even know what you're doing. You can't even control yourself anymore. Third point, define the source and the object of your anger. What is the trigger of the anger you're experiencing? Is it hurt? You have hurt feelings because of the words of actions to somebody else. Is it injustice? You're having an emotional response to an unjust action. Fear? You're feeling the loss of something or you're afraid of losing something. Or frustration? I hear that a lot. A lot of people mask anger as frustration. Oh, I'm just frustrated. I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Guess what? You're just playing with words. You are angry But maybe anger comes from a frustration because something didn't go as you planned or maybe someone didn't respond the way you wanted to. Look at Naaman and his example with Elisha. Man, he was frustrated because his expectation wasn't met. I mean, something did not go the way he wanted it to go. Another trigger could be the influence of others. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25 tell us that anger is a learned behavior. If we associate ourselves with other people who have an anger problem, chances are that we'll pick it up. We'll learn that behavior from those people. We can certainly choose and select some friends. We can avoid some of the friends that will uh, cause us to fall into sin. But often, especially with family, we don't have choice on the matter. I come from a family where my grandfather and my father both had anger issues. And my exposure to anger was unavoidable. Now, I never met my grandfather on my father's side because he died before I was born. He died when my father was 10. But he had a fame for his rage in town. Well, you may not have a choice, but if that is the case, then we must all be aware of the potential to be influenced by that. Don't take for granted, like I did when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, I swore to myself that I would never be like my father. Guess what? I got married, and I found myself acting just like my father. Because that's a model that I had. That's what I had learned. That's what I had seen, and that's what I was going to resort to in responding to things I never experienced before. But we need to be aware of that tendency so that we can compensate for that. Ask yourself who or what you're angry at. We need to define the object of the anger as well. Are we angry at someone? Are we angry at a situation? Are we angry at an injustice? Sometimes we're angry at God. And you know, if we're angry at God, I'm not going to say like psychology says, say that it's okay. I'll never say that. It's not okay to be angry at God. But you're not alone in that. Job was angry at God as well. But if you are angry at God, here's what you can do. First of all, know God's character. He is just, his ways are just, he is love, and his love is directed to all people, not just you, but to all the other people as well. You want to understand his purpose and plan. You want to understand that he brings good out of evil. Sometimes we are angry because we ask ourselves, how can a good and righteous God and a powerful God allow this to happen? We need to understand that God sometimes allowed evil to occur, but then he turns it into good. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his discernment. All things work together for good. God is not going to allow evil to prevail, but sometimes he allows it to occur for a time, for a good purpose, for a good reason. Now, he doesn't generate evil. I don't want to get into that. That's another sermon. It does not generate evil, but he allows evil. And if you don't believe that, just go to Job chapter 1. Uh, he turns crying into dancing, sorrow into joy, a very famous Psalm 30 that people like uh, to read. He uses suffering to produce perseverance, character, and hope. It, it's scripture that not so many people like to read because it talks about long suffering and endurance and how our suffering produces good fruits in us, and we don't tend to like to read that in Romans 5, but it's there. And he uses troubles to teach us compassion, Second Corinthians 1. And he will make everything new. And there will be no more evil, no more suffering, no more tears, no more crying, no more death in Revelation 21. Finally, if you are angry at God, remember the lesson of Job. And I want to summarize the lesson in two statements from, from the book of Job. Job chapter 40 and verse 8. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me so that you may be justified? That's the answer that God gave to Job. Do you know there's a problem? God is confronting Job Uh, Anger and he's redirected it in the right direction. And he says, Are you really look at those words and ask yourself, you know, you think you're angry at God? Ask yourself those that question. Will will you really annul my judgment? says God. Are you going to annul the judgment of God by being angry at Him? Are you gonna change who God is? Second question: Will you condemn me so that you may be justified? Are you gonna be a judge over God? Are you going to put God on trial? You know, in this whole book of Job, it's not God that is on trial, by the way. It is Job and Job's faith that is on trial. And that's why the problem was there, because it was a misplacement of where the trial was. These people were handling as if it was a trial on God. Instead, the trial was on Job. The trial is on us. Our faith may be tested, not God. Look at the response of Job when God had finished discussing a few things with him. Job 42, verses 5 and 6. I have heard of you by the hearing of a ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. That is the proper response to anger against God. That we will realize who God is, what his character is, what his purpose and plan is, realizing and remembering the lesson of Job and then turning around and saying, Lord, I heard about you before but now I can see a little better, I can understand you better and because I understand you better, I repent. I have no reason to be angry at you. It is displaced anger. Fourth point to do to correct our tendency to use anger in the wrong way is to evaluate your options. So, What have we done so far? So far we have a knowledge we are angry, refraining from immediate response so that we have enough time to think. As we think, we are now defining the source and the object of the anger, where it comes from and what it is oriented to. Now we are ready to evaluate the options. The first thing to do, I think, is to ask yourself the famous question, can I change the situation? Well, if you can't change it for the better, do it. If you're upset because that door squeaks, get some oil. If you're upset because your tire is deflated, inflate it. If you're upset because your engine was smoking because you forgot to put oil in it, take it to a mechanic. If you can change it, change it. If you can't, release it to God. Don't play God yourself. You are not almighty. You are not omnipotent. You are not God. And yet we want to control so much that sometimes we end up playing God. We want to control the outcomes. Guess what? God says, many places in Proverbs as well as in the New Testament, he says that we have no control on the outcome. We make plans, but God controls the outcome of those plans. I'll tell you what, if, if God gave me his power right now, I would make a horrible mess out of it, and so would you. We better let God do his job, uh, and we do our own. So, evaluate if you can change it, change it. If you can't change it, um, change it for the better, of course, change it. And if you cannot, just release it to God. The other thing you want to evaluate is whether you're going to act or just react. Reacting can be vengeance, but Deuteronomy 32 says vengeance belongs to God, not to us. So again, don't play God. Reacting will only lead to conflict and strife. It is told, we are told that in uh, Proverbs 30, and we don't want to generate more conflict and more strife because usually our reactions don't tend to be controlled anyway. On the other hand, appropriate action instead aims at resolving a problem, and is motivated by love. So here's the difference between reaction and action. Let's say my wife got me upset. I'm reacting, and I'm yelling at her. Now she gets even more upset. And because I'm yelling at her, now she gets all defensive, and so she doesn't respond the way I want her to respond. So I get even more upset at her, and I start yelling more. Then she starts backing off and showing fear because my aggressiveness. Well, guess what? That makes me even more upset because I'm trying to control her and she's not responding the way I want her to respond and the situation escalates. On the other hand, if instead of reacting, I am acting. Let's say my wife got me upset because she was trying to do something that she's not strong enough to do. Maybe I can just go in and help her out. The problem is solved. And maybe because I got a little upset that the fact that she almost hurt herself doing that gives me the extra energy to get it done quicker, faster, so she doesn't get hurt. That could be a good use. An action rather than a reaction. There are some examples. Will you use tactful, compassionate words, or will you use tactless, condemning words? Will you try to see the other person's point of view, or will you see only your own? Will you want to help the one who angers you or you want to punish that person that causes you to be upset? Will you focus on your own faults or will you focus on the faults of the other person alone? Will you have realistic expectations or unrealistic ones? Will you have a flexible and cooperative attitude or will you be rigid and uncooperative and just want your way instead of being reasonable? Will you forgive personal injustices? Or will you just tie them to your finger and hold on to them for maybe 20 years or more? In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12 it's written, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Notice what Colossians says, put on a heart The change that we need is not a behavioral change, it's a change of heart. Because as Jesus explained, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and I would say, I would add, the hand acts. It's out of the abundance of the heart that we respond or that we act or react. So make sure that the heart is in communion with God and is in harmony with God, and it is a heart of compassion. A heart of kindness, a heart of humility, a heart of gentleness, a heart of patience. Because if that is your heart, I'll tell you, many cases when you would normally be angry or maybe escalating anger, it will actually be able to diffuse them. Then, after you evaluated your options, then take the appropriate constructive action. Philippians 2, verses 2 to 8, reads as follows. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent and one purpose, do nothing from selfish and empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, but becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in Philippians 2, verses 2 to 8, we have a pattern that we should follow. Taking appropriate constructive action. Look at at it again. Verse 2, have the goal to be like-minded with Christ. In verse 3, we find do not think of yourself first or highest and give the other person preferential treatment. You know how many times we would have curbed anger, sinful anger, if we thought of the other person as better than ourselves, or we give preferential treatment to the other person? Verse 4, consider the other person's interests, not just our own. Verse 5, have the attitude of Jesus Christ. Well, think about What did Jesus do to you? Did he zap you out of your existence because you offended him and sinned against him? Or did he accept a, a sacrifice to pay for your sin? So what he's talking about here is that, that selfless, the self-giving love that Jesus Christ has demonstrated, the love of God. And again, we go back to the beginning of our discussion about anger. It's about the love of God at work in us and expressed in us. And only the love of God really can do the job in the right way because otherwise we will displace it in some form or another. Verse 6, do not emphasize your position or your rights. Verse 7, look for ways to serve with a servant's heart. Again, as we look at the interests of the other person and not just our own, we need to find in ourselves the, the, the servant heart that is willing to serve that person, that is willing to sacrifice a little bit for the sake of the other individual. Verse 8, speak and act with a humble spirit and be willing to die to your own desires, to your own fleshly lusts, because we are dead in ourselves are alive in Christ. We are dead to our selfishness. Mark it again. We are dead to our selfishness. How much do you see a dead person moving? He or she doesn't. See, we are dead to our selfishness. So we are inactive completely, totally inactive in our selfishness. But we are very much alive, active, dynamic in Christ. Now, as you address the problem that is in front of you, share information. Let it be known that you are angry at the problem. You know, if I find out that my son is using drugs, I'm not going to say, oh, well. I'm going to look at him straight in the eyes, confront him and say, I'm really upset about this and you better find out that I'm upset about this because I'm not concerned about me and myself and how that may offend me. I'm concerned about how, would, how that would ruin him and destroy him. But I, he needs to see that I mean it. Because his response otherwise is say, well, if my dad says, oh, whatever, then I might as well continue. It's not going to be very constructive. So share information. Let it be known that you're angry at the problem. not is my statement. At the problem, not at the person. Righteous anger is not against the person. It's against a problem that the person got into or a problem that is harming the individual you care about. That is like the anger of God. God is not angry at us. Per se, God loves us. But he's angry at our foolishness. He's angry at our sinfulness that destroys us. Then gather information. Ah, that's so hard. But remember what James says. Let everyone be quick to listen and slow to speak. So communicate. You know, I'm really, I, I, I'm really angry about this issue. But I want to understand what the issue really is. I want to understand what is really going on. So ask questions. I remember an individual getting very angry at a child who was riding the bicycle and another child was running after him and the other child that was running after him was older, bigger, and it looked like he was going to bully the little child. The little child in a bicycle looks like he was running away for his life. And so he grabbed the big guy behind the bicycle instead of shaking him and saying, leave him alone. Little did he know that the bicycle was his and the little child has stolen it. Say you're upset about it, but then ask questions. Get the facts, because unless you understand the situation, you will not be able to use the anger that God has created you to, with the capacity to experience for a good purpose, to resolve a problem. James, again, tells us, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak. And notice the third statement. Quick to listen, slow to speak. That will enable you to be slow to anger because you will understand the situation much better. And so you can slow down your anger if you put yourself in a condition where you want to understand what is really going on. Then seek understanding. Don't just listen, don't assume. You heard half of the story, you fill in the rest because in your anger, you want to get to the point right away, right? So what do we do? We finish the sentence for the other people. And, you know, I learned that lesson in a hard way. I was in a meeting with people that were kind of hostile toward me at that moment. And I wanted to tell them that we are all at the same level. So I started the statement in the wrong way. I started the, same, the statement by saying, look, people, I'm on the side of Christ. You are on the side of Christ. So we're on the same side. But since these people were hostile toward me, all they heard is the first statement. I'm on the side of Christ. And They exploded. See, that was a mistake, but it was a mistake not just on my side, a a lack of wisdom on my side in starting that way. I should have started, you're on the side of Christ, and they would agree. Then I'm on the side of Christ too, so we're on the same side. But I didn't, so there was a lack of wisdom on my part. But it was also a lack of wisdom on their part. They did not finish understanding. They heard, but they did not understand. So just hearing the facts doesn't really mean that we understand what is really going on. Don't fill in the blank. Don't listen to the first two words and then jump to assumptions for the rest of the sentence. Know, and know that you know what the real situation is. And then if warranted, request or implement the needed change. Sometimes that's not warranted. Sometimes it's not appropriate to do so. But the wisdom of God will guide you. If you are in tune, if your heart is in communion with God, the wisdom of God will also guide you to recognize when it's appropriate to request or implement a needed change and when it's not. I want to conclude by reminding you what can happen if we are motivated by the love and the wisdom of God in the way we experience and use that energy that we call anger. Anger can be positive and can be constructive. Anger can be used to bring positive change in your life. Anger could be just that edge, that energy that you need to make that change that you've been too reluctant to make up to that point. Anger can be the lens through which you gain insight into your past hurts. Anger can bring your true feelings to light. It can reveal your inappropriate ways of trying to meet your own needs. It can help you realize your need for God. It can uncover your need to set healthy boundaries. It can be the foundation on which forgiveness is built. It can be the spark that encourages honest communication in relationships. That maybe after that point, the communication was not honest. How are you doing? I'm okay. Really, how are you doing? I'm okay. While in the meantime, we are brooding resentment inside. That's not good. That's deceptive. Instead, it would be much better to say, how are you doing? You know, I'm a little upset about that, but I- I'll be okay in a minute. Just give me a moment and I'll deal with that. Or, I'm a little bit upset about that. We need to talk. We need to resolve this matter. We need to address that so that it doesn't become bigger or an issue for us. You know, I've seen people reacting in anger for things that happened 35 to 40 years ago, especially in families. You know, it's, it's horrible the way these kind of things can work in families. But anger can be the spark that encourages honest communication, uh, honest communication that will actually contribute to the restoring of a relationship. Anger can be used by God to convict others of sin when it's appropriately displayed and it can be used by God to turn a potentially volatile situation into something good. You all heard of a group of women called Mad, M-A-D-D. Do you know why they called themselves Mad? Because they were mad, they were angry. What they were angry at is that one of those women had her son killed by a drunk driver and she found out that everybody was saying, oh, well, that's unfortunate, too bad. There was no law prohibiting drunk driving. There was no law that made drunk driving, driving a vehicle with no ability to control it, illegal. She found out that other mothers had the same problem. So they got together and they say, we are too angry at this situation to leave it the way it is. Had they not been upset about that, they probably wouldn't have done anything, just like everybody else wasn't doing anything. Yeah, you know, it's only an accident, it's unfortunate. But they were too angry to give up. So they started working in Washington, D.C., and they were too angry to let it go. When the politician says, oh, we can't do anything about it, oh, you know, this is going to be tough and difficult, they said, you yeah, know, I don't care how tough it is, I don't care how difficult it is, I'm too upset to let this issue go. And so they persevered, they used that energy, they channeled that energy toward a solution to a problem. You know, compare that with a mother that stands outside of a courtroom and says, Kill him! Kill him! He killed my son! I want to see him die slowly! See, that's another expression of anger against the individual. These women went to Washington and said, We need a law here. We need a law to prevent deaths. We need a law to prevent accidents like that. This is not right. They were not lashing out in hatred against the people. They were using and channeling the energy to resolve a problem and they did legislation was passed and today drunk driving is illegal as a result of that so that may be a secular example but imagine what we christians can do in christ when we use that energy for a good purpose and a good reason not internalizing it not lashing it out against the people but putting it to use to resolve a problem To bring a problem into a solution. Imagine what we can do with that. That's why God created us with the capacity to experience it. Because sometimes we need that extra energy to say, this is wrong and needs to be corrected. Not out of selfishness, this is wrong because I don't like it. But out of selfless love, this is wrong because it harms you.